Welcome again, Rich Klein, being here with me to discuss 89-score football, another iconic set, another trailblazing set. That and again, it's by. the 30th, just like Upper Deck Baseball, it's the 30th anniversary. And, 30th anniversary. And that name is still being used today by Panini for one of their products. It's a wonderful product that's accessible, just like 89-score was on a price level to collectors of all levels. You you don't have to open up your wallet that much to get 80, to 2019-score football. And, you, you know, you didn't have to open up your wallet yeah, that back much. Back in the day, but that was the first of the 389 sets that kind of emerged as as the uh, as the, the, the better rookie card of the trio, I think, the perception. The perception was they, they came out in the packs. They were available immediately. Well, they had factory sets, too. They had factory sets, but the, the, the cards were all available in packs, all the rookie cards, and they got a real break. And Full, I think the collation was really good, too. The collation was excellent. Because it wasn't a huge set. 330 cards. Yeah. And they got a break in that... Four of the first five draft picks, all of whom have these beautiful headshots, you know, and they really are beautiful cards, are in the Hall of Fame. And then they had other guys they picked up that were rookies in 88 that, that, that excuse me, that they, uh, you know, it was then accepted procedure to have rookie cards the year after the player comes out. So right. they have people like Tim Brown. Well, know, they weren't prospecting. They weren't they prospecting. Were, they, were, they were using people like Michael Irvin, who comes up in 88 and plays in 88. And he's well, in Tom is the only game in town. Right. Until... Then. So Tops didn't have to prospect. Tops didn't have to no. print cards of anybody. They didn't print any rookie they, cards of people did. in their rookie year. They did sure things after 1965. They, they catch them the next year. They didn't even get O.J. Simpson in '69 when he was the, you know, number one prospect. You know, he was drafted number yeah. one overall by Buffalo. He was like the a unanimous Heisman Trophy winner. He was the best college football player. If they were ever going to have a number one card, you know, a player before he actually played in the game, they would have had Simpson in '69. Maybe it was illegal according it, to licensing. Maybe it was. But, but the licensing you got by by eighty nine with score and pro set there needed to be a competitive landscape and a fair deal and as you have mentioned in a previous episode uh, pro set was the official card of the NFL and you and got good rookies uh, you better have cards of them and it was a living set so they were going to get and they had larger sets uh, generally that was their 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 situation but score had um, uh, attractive cards popularly priced. And like I said, they had the key players that even have endured at this point. And they were actually for you at the time. I, I would move down the next year. They were a local Dallas company. They were. So, so did they ever tap into you and say, you know, what would you do or, you know, what, how would you create a set? They might have done some stuff with the guys. But we were, we basically, I think 89 is when we started the football magazine. We did. I have an article so, in the first football magazine. Okay. Well, of course you do. But, uh, maybe, maybe I don't. I don't know. But I was certainly nose to the grindstone in those days. But no, 89 uh, was when football was really emerging. And so the sets, our magazines probably came out after they, but just, it just was on fire. And right. Fire. And in fact, the Bo Jackson on the first cover, you only published, and to, I'm going to say only because today that number would seem like insanely high, but I think the number was about 110,000 copies of football number one. And it was a sellout. It was such an insane sellout that one of our staff members at the time, and she was she stayed for many years afterward, Mary Campano, who was working in customer service, was like the only person there the day after Thanksgiving. And there was no football magazines to be had by anybody. And poor Pepper Hastings had to, Pepper, you know, you're supposed to get a copy of the magazine you, you wrote for. Can I get a copy of this just so I can have one for my own files? 
And he finally found me a used copy, but that's how on fire 89 football was. I mean, it was so out of control. But you didn't come to work at Beckett Publications until... 1990. Six months later? When was it? it was, oh, I came down officially September 17th, 1990, but I did a three-week trial run in August of 90 as we were adjusting to how I was going to make the move. Yeah. Because I was going back to New Jersey... Because I had a fun gig at the time. I was doing stats at the U.S. Tennis Open. That's right. That was part of your condition of employment. That was part of my condition of employment. You wanted to be able to go back and work the U.S. Open. And that was the last year we ever did it. So that Forest Hills, yeah. Well, actually, that was... uh, Or was it Flushing Meadows? It was Flushing Meadows. Forest Hills. They moved out of Forest Hills in 78. I wish I had done it. Showing my age, but yeah. 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 You know, Jimmy Connors is the only guy. They've played at three different locations, and Jimmy Connors won won it at three different locations. He's obviously the only person who's ever going to be able to do that. He's my contemporary. I know. You know, one of my friends from high school, he and another buddy of his were Jimmy's bodyguards at the U.S. Open. Or they were Paddy's, actually Paddy McGuire's bodyguards at the U.S. Open, you know, during those years. So we'd always see, we'd always watch for Doug and Bob and those guys on TV. Just, oh, we know him. It was more important for us to see him sometimes on TV than to watch the matches. Oh, that's, that's good. What, uh... Were there any other anomalies in that set that you recall? What I remember is those cards were such more popular than the other manufacturers. If you had, when I was working, I was in my nice field to them. They didn't have have, nice field. There's no, I mean, the tops to their, it just was the situation. They, they, they were still doing gum, I think, in those days. Right. And Uh, so they had to use certain inks and, and their cards were maybe waxier, whereas the, 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 uh, the score, so I think tops for a short time was at a competitive advantage, right. and, a disadvantage by having to do that. And I think the designs were better. Score had already built up a reputation from being in baseball. The photos on the fronts right. and the backs of the card, the, the color on the back, yeah, color on the back, the less woodcock edited. Well, tops was still doing kind of gray backs, right. and that's again they were they were the standard, and they certainly responded. But uh, the the upstarts, the upper decks, the scores. And even the pro sets, they had to be better or different in some way to to get some attention away from the incumbent. And but they were successful. And score had worked out. The eighty-eight score baseball set did have some printing issues. A lot of the cards had like these weird corners that almost seemed like they had circular things on the corners that made it, you know, the condition not as good. That you'd have to almost cut those off the corners to make them look nice. It was really funky, and that you know their quality control wasn't as good in baseball maybe as the other companies in terms of the centering and the conditions. But they were better in terms of the co- full color backs. The bios were better written. The stats, you know, the f- well, we, it's hard to compare something from thirty years ago. With it's hard to ignore the experience of the life. But that was a that was a a, a big step in the right direction toward better uh, better quality in some ways that uh, hadn't been uh, done for, and to do it at a at a popular price. And and eighty nine score football, they took the lessons they learned from eighty eight baseball was a really beautiful product, and they did a lot of the same things in football. And it's really a you know both of those sets are just beautiful sets. And if you look at them today, you realize aesthetically they're so pleasing. Well, that was a box that you could buy. There were no inserts. There were no parallels. You just got what you got. But it was, uh, I, as I recall, it was, it was well collated. And so you'd have some, you wouldn't get strange packs that had multiples of the same player who was not, not valuable. But having said that, those cards, there was the opportunity as there as there was throughout the 80s and into the 90s of the ability for a dealer to make money when they bought a box and broke it, whether they broke it for selling packs or broke it for, for collating and selling sets or selling singles. There was an opportunity for the food chain, the different levels, to each make 
some money. Well, and that was one of the beautiful things about the hobby in those days was the barrier to entry of the business was really so low. I mean, everything was inexpensive. Beckett magazines were $2.50. And I still remember your editorial, how much you agonized about having to raise the price to two ninety five. dollars Yeah, I waited. I waited and waited and waited. Because you realized that, you know, the higher the price point, and frankly, two fifty dollars to two ninety five is not that bad because it's still less than $3. So you're still going to get changed from $3. So that really wasn't such a bad price range. But still, everything that causes people to think about, do I really want to buy this, is something that you might get some people who say, I want to hop on this train because it's up, up, up. And you have other people who say, I can't afford this anymore. Well, I mean, <laughs> I always told our team that we are not competing against other magazines that are 250 or 295. We're competing against anything that costs 250 or 295. And that includes the cards themselves. And so for somebody to walk into a card shop with their last $2.95, I guess sometimes they would buy the magazine, but frequently they'd buy the cards too. So as the price of something gets higher, more people either get discouraged or they find other alternatives. And I think that's one of the things where it's a, it's a tough, you know, as we've talked about with other card companies too, you know, you have to make what now you call your guarantees. So you have to have certain things almost at every price point nowadays. The beauty of those days was that almost nothing was at a high price point. You know, you could buy all the football cards for the year probably for $100 in well, 89. I think that NFL... And the NFLPA were happy to have interest in their category. And it's, it's not that they needed score more than score needed them. There was symbiosis. But still, there was welcome to the party. And we're not going to they, – they wanted to make it work for both. And, and it did work for a long time. In fact, it worked so well that fast forward a few years, and there were 11, 12, 13 football licensees. Of, of, and it was uh, names that – most people don't remember now, but but they were around for a few years, and it and it, then it winnowed out. Yeah, and that and that makes sense. And but score was was still standing. Upper deck was still standing, but pro set no more. One of the things about we're talking about, I talked about yesterday and today. Could you imagine if they had had the NFL rookie photo shoots or things in 1989, and the players had special cards issued for that rather, you know. How interesting would that be if you could go back 30 years and tell score? By the way, you might want to get Aikman to sign some cards, you know, sign some <laughs> stickers. Let's put some certified Aikman autographs in these. Let's put some, you know, number one draft pick. Let's turn Mandrick, the only guy in the top five players selected not in the Hall of Fame. But he's the number two pick. Get some of his autographs and get Barry Sanders and get Derek Thomas and get Deion Sanders. That's a heck of a rookie class. And that was something else that score caught a break on. You got four. First, pretty, pretty impressive. Four basically first ballot worthy Hall of Famers in the first five cards. That's pretty good. Well, it's it's easier in basketball and football than it is in baseball to expect that a high draft pick is going to go on to a great career. Uh, I think nowadays with scouting and hockey, apparently hockey's getting to be where there's some known outstanding young superstars who do go on to fulfill the promise. But that seems like that wasn't the case a long time ago. But it is. it seems to be more so now. Everything gets better, but there's always going to be surprises. There's always going to be the guy that flames. Please consider our fine sponsors, Beckett Media, Beckett Grading Services, Beckett Authentication Services, all those at Beckett.com, Burbank Sports Cards, which is BurbankSportsCards.com, ComC, formerly known as Check Out My Cards, at COMC.com, Heritage Auctions at HA.com, Huggins & Scott Auctions, at HugginsAndScott.com, all spelled out. Mike Stadium Sports Cards at MikeSSS.com. Panini at PaniniAmerica.net. Tops at 
tops.com, T-O-P-P-S.com, and Upper Deck at UpperDeck.com. Thank you. Some of the issues he had had when he was in college. And I think were... his biggest problem was he thought he was going to be one of the greatest receivers of all time. He was, by the way. And I know, but I'm saying that's the attitude he had, and they felt like maybe that's not a great attitude. And I think if you can back it up, uh, he was a pretty spectacular and receiver eight, for a long I mean, time. And I, and I always forget this until I see the highlights from the game. Thanksgiving Day 1988, he comes down, and, they, and the Vikings are playing the Cowboys here. He catches three passes. I believe all are for more than 50 yards, and I believe all are touchdowns. It's like, okay, I've you made win. my point. <laughs> you guys should have drafted me. And it'd be interesting what would have happened in NFL history if they actually had drafted him. And they drafted a good player, number seven. So it wasn't like they drafted a – I think Greg Ellis was their first, and he was a solid 10-, 12-year player. So it's not like it's a complete bust, but it's not a game-changing receiver like Randy Moss, who the first year he goes to New England, oh, by the way, they go 18 and nothing until the Super Bowl and the Giants beat them in, in a really competitive game. Mm-hmm. But that's how good he was. He was so good. He won every jump ball. Yes. <laughs> every ball that was up in the air. And, you know, it's, if you're the quarterback, just throw it up there. I mean, and if you think about it, we're talking about he won everything. Barry Sanders basically was the best running back during his career, and he was a high draft pick. Deion Sanders may still be the best NFL defensive back ever. If not, it's real close. He was up there. Troy Aikman won three Super Bowls. He was up there. Derek Thomas, right. with his untimely passing in the car yeah, accident, yeah. we don't know what his final numbers were. He has like eight sacks or seven sacks in a game against the Houston Oilers. <laughs> I mean, these guys were all off the chain. Right. And, and that's... And then you have, as I said, other rookies. You have Tim Brown. I think Tim Brown is an 89 rookie. You have Michael Irvin. Tim Brown, local guy, too. He's a local guy. You have Michael Irvin, who has, who was an 88 rookie. Both the way things were, he became an 89 rookie card. Chris Carter is, I'm trying to remember if he played an 88 or if he's an 89 rookie. But there's another one. I mean, you have all these Hall of Famers. It's just also a blessed set in terms of, yeah. hey, everybody got hot in that set. And then even Mark Rippon won a Super Bowl. And he's a rookie card in 89 score. I mean, they have Super, you know, for the next five or six years after 89, a guy got hot, odds are good he's an 89 score. You know, football's the sport, less so than the others, that a player's card value is elevated solely because of the world championships he's won, or even MVPs of, of world championship games. Hockey, it's a big deal how many Stanley Cups. Baseball, it's, again, if you, of course, you just have to be a Yankee or Red Sox now, but, but you've won a lot of world championships or you've been in a lot of all-star games. Basketball, there's a, an, it's an the ring or the all-star games. Yes. Yeah. But football, it's, it's, are you an all pro? Are you, are you the best at what you do? And I, uh, especially in the glamour positions where you can keep, uh, track of, I mean, I always wondered if you're the great quarterback on a terrible team and your, your abilities got that terrible team up to 500, but you never even made the playoffs, but you, without you, they would have, wouldn't, would not have won a single game. Dan Marino. Terrible never, offensive line. Dan Marino never won a Super Bowl. Well, he, gets, he gets to one in his so second year. He never gets back. I, I don't fault him for that. And nobody ever blames Dan Marino. Yeah. We, he, he's an all-time great quarterback. Troy Aikman's a darn good quarterback. Won three Super Bowls. But not necessarily better than Marino. But not necessarily better than Marino. But he was the right quarterback for, the, for that system, for that system at that, that time. time. Yeah. Just like today with the Cowboys, uh, the Amari Cooper, I think he's the best receiver Dak Prescott ever had. There may be other guys who had more talent. Well, but he's the he Des Bryant him. was definitely better. In his own opinion. Yes. But, and in his peak, perhaps he was. But Amari Cooper match, meshes better with Dak. Right. And that's part of the thing. I wonder if they handpicked Amari 
to think, no, who, well, who is the person that's going to help Dak really well, get the next Well, if you think level? about it, he was 24 years old. Because they gave a lot for him. But he was tw- they gave him a number one draft pick. Yeah. But he was 24 years old. You know what? If you're 24 years old, you're only a year or two older than a lot of these number one draft picks anyway. And you've got NFL experience. And so I think that was a great trade for the Cowboys because they're getting the next four to five years of him at his peak. Right. And, you know, as I said, 89 upper deck. It Are take- we Cowboy fans? What? Are we Cowboy fans? We at least follow the team. We live in Dallas. We don't have any Cowboys I'm a fan of sorts, but I mean, they're the local team. But, I, you know, so much of doing the price guides for all those years, you really had to sanitize your loyalties that, you know, because I didn't want to be biased. But I mean, I like the Cowboys. I like the Mavericks. I like the Rangers. I like the Stars. And we had season tickets to all those at one point. But still, it's a, it's a great sport. There's a lot of other great teams. And uh, try not to be too biased, but... Uh, we're talking about 89 score. That was a perfect storm. We're talking about like Dallas football, 90, the 90s yeah. was a perfect storm. 89 score football is the perfect storm, and we'll leave it yeah. at that, that that was the perfect storm for the best of the 89 sets. Absolutely. That's a good note to end on. Thanks, Rich.